Welcome into the After Hours segment with Tom White, appraiser, economist, globalist, narcissist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> did, you invite, did you invite the Kansas uh, basketball team? What's that pole over there in the corner? Uh, no, that's actually the Kansas City team. Oh, okay. Ah, I got you. Because you see, Kansas, Kansas City. Is Kansas, you know what, it used to be in Kansas. Well, they moved it across the river into into Kansas from Missouri. Right. And the actual stadium is in Kansas. See there, he was right. Yes, he was right. I knew it because it was somebody made a joke, I think, on social media. And they said, you know, actually, the Republicans are coming out saying technically he's he's right. Technically he was. But, I mean, gosh, the guy made a mistake. I mean, you know, I'm not worried about Everybody that. Everybody makes mistakes. It's not as if he made the mistake. Like, he doesn't know that. He, he, he it's was not di- like he's in Iowa and says he's in New Hampshire. Well, right, exactly. But what I see people do, and this is not just him, they want to take somebody who's a human and make them not a human. You know, what is not human is like when Hillary Clinton or when um, Donald Trump Jr. or someone who might say something on Twitter that, you know, really cuts at things that people don't like here. Now, that's a different story. But the bottom line is, I mean, this guy's just tweeting himself. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty amazing that a president has a line directly to the American public, good, bad, or indifferent. You know how you know it's He him? has no filter, right? I mean, well, that's okay. He has okay. no filter, but he also makes grammatical errors that would never be made if he right. had a, a publicist do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that, like last night, right before the State of the Union, there was a tweet that clearly was done by, you know, a social media team or whatever. I mean, and so, but but you see, he's up at, you know, 1 a.m. making, he's like, boy, I mean, that guy he works. sleeps like four hours. I don't think he sleeps, you know. But anyway, I wanted in this VIP, this bonus segment, I wanted to talk a little bit about last night because there was some really interesting things that he said in his, his I about said his impeachment address. That's not what I've said. Um, in his State of the Union address, the first thing was, which, you know, there are, people fact-checking, but the bottom line was, the, here's, here's what he said, which was uh, the United States is the highest producer of oil and gas and is now energy independent. Um, and thanks to, he said verbatim, thanks to our bold regulatory reduction campaign, the United States has become the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. So th- what I, I, I pulled up CNN just so that, let's hear what they say, because that would be a good one to contrast it with. Sure. So he says, fact, they say facts first. The U.S. did not become the world's top energy producer under Trump. It took the top spot under the Obama administration in 2012, according to the U.S. government's Energy Information Administration. So there's that. But who really, I mean, at the end of the day, he did deregulate a lot of the things that you see as being components, right? They might have been, but see what Trump said mm-hmm. and what CNN's just said was, was two different things. Mm-hmm. Trump said we are now energy independent mm-hmm. and we are the top producer. CNN just said we were the top producer. Right. That's it's two true. different things because we use about 12 million barrels of oil a day. Mm-hmm. So we have to produce more than that to export it. So the first time that happened was under Trump and that happened in 2018. So, yeah, so the crude oil is something that we did become the top producer under Trump. So the United States has become the world's top producer of natural gas since 2009 when the U.S. natural gas production surpassed that of Russia. And it, it has been the world's top producer of petroleum, which is the hydrocarbons, since 2013. 
when its production exceeded Saudi Arabia's. I mean, actually, if you just step back and look at it, I remember back in the 2006-7 range, we were talking about, what are we going to do about gas? What are we going to do about gas? You know, post-9-11, you know, there was, and even going back further, you talk about the first Gulf War, you know, a lot of the war, maybe some motivation of that was to get maybe our foot in the door. People would say it was other things, and Dow would agree, but there was some motivation revolving around energy independence, right? We, we, the fact is we are energy independent, and we are the top producer. Who would have ever thought that would have happened? Well, when's the last time we went to war in Chad and Ghana? I don't remember. I know that. Okay. Yeah. Me and my friend Chad get in arguments a lot. but Yeah, but you're not in Chad right. in, in Ghana. Right. And, and my point is, for the last 60, 70 years, we have paid a lot of attention to the Middle East and simply because of oil. Mm-hmm. We need the, the, oil, the oil to fuel our economy. Mm-hmm. And now that we are self-sufficient, it changes the dynamic substantially. And you've heard President Trump talk about that. And no one is disputing that. And there's a lot of people that are very nervous about us completely getting out of the Middle East. Um, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Yeah. So uh, the most nervous two countries would be Saudi Arabia and Israel, which is amazing because Saudi Arabia and Israel now have become friends. Right. Well, if you think about what we went they to war, each other. yeah, it's like we need you. I mean, mm-hmm. frankly, but the the gas crisis of two thousand, I don't remember when it was, two thousand seven, eight, whenever it was going up to four dollars or whatever it was, and you know, it was a geopolitical event that you know caused these gas prices to spike. It was when I was living in, I was working in Oak Ridge and I had my Range Rover. I thought I was cool. I was spending a hundred dollars a week in gas. I mean, it brought me to my knees. You know, there's, there's only so many steam sandwiches that can get me to keep going to Oak Ridge. And it was like, well, it wasn't that big of a drive, but it was expensive to own an SUV, right? Yep. Well, now what gas prices, I mean, they're still not, I mean, they're under $2 and something, right? Right. Yep, at, right. Little I little over pay, $2. I paid $2 and 12 cents today. Right. Now, now he has to get 93 octane because he has a Lamborghini, but I'm kidding. But I mean, if you have, if you have a, a historic look, gas prices, much like interest rates have stayed low for a sustained amount of time. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going on vacation with my dad in 1969, we were driving to Florida and he was really mad because gas was 29 cents a gallon. Exactly. Oh my goodness. I mean, he was PO'd. Yeah. You know? I got to spend three dimes on this. Oh my, you guys, yeah, I mean, you kids was, are going to have more we fun. In, we were in Florida and, and gas at that time was like 23 cents or 24 cents in Tennessee. And he was, uh, he was not happy. Yeah. You know, but if you look at, you know, inflation, gas is really cheap. Oh yeah. So, and so are interest rates. And so are interest rates. Yeah. You can be a little more laid back on the VIP after hours. Okay. As if he wasn't already. Well, that, I want to ask you. Uh, let's get Tom's opinion. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want your opinion. Why is inflation so low? With because things it has to be. Well, let him finish but, the but, question. But, but why? But why? I mean, technically, why is it with everything so bubbly and hot? Mm-hmm. Why is it still so low? Because of globalism, really. I mean, that's that's the easiest answer. Um, it goes back to supply and demand, and um, when supply is has more elasticity in it, then it can react to demand much faster. So um, you have 
so many more countries that are involved and the supply chain is so interwoven that if we run out of something here now we can go to Mexico and get it or we can FedEx it from China or we can go to Amazon Prime. Exactly. Yeah. So so the supply chain is much more integrated, therefore it's much more elastic. Therefore and and it even goes back to raw materials because really that's where it begins. Mm. Raw, raw materials is the beginning and the ending of most um, inflation. So you're saying that it can satisfy the supply de- some demand chain quickly. Yes. And, and um, it's when, when you have the supply chain like it is, it just reacts and moves and coordinates with the demand so you don't have as much lag time to for rates to shoot yeah, up. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, and it's interesting. And, and plus, um, uh, the worst thing is deflation. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. You'd much rather have inflation than deflation. And you I know, think a little inflation is healthy for the market. 1% is really great. Yeah, one, because one to 2% is what the, what the Fed wants. But there's been so much currency manipulation, too, by China and others, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, first of all, they're buying our debt from us. So they, they buy mortgage-backed securities, but also treasuries. I mean, so they own literally trillions of dollars well, worth of U.S. Let, debt. Let's talk about and so that. So the professor is going to debunk that. Go ahead. Let, let's talk about fiat yeah, currency. Let's, okay. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about fiat, yeah. fiat currency. Yes. We went off the gold standard a long time ago. Why did mm-hmm. we go off the gold standard? We went off the gold standard because debt doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, we're $23 trillion in debt. Uh, yeah, but inter- what what does that really mean? Yeah, what, you know, yeah. what does that really I, I, I was watching a show the other night, and this lady – talking about Ghana, watching the show the other night, and this lady from Ghana was on there, and she was a um, minister in Ghana, and she was talking about their gold reserves. And they had s- five times the gold reserves as the United States does. And their their money should be much more valuable than the United States' money. Well, there's two problems with that. In order to be a strong, um, uh, have a strong currency, you have to have two things. You have to have a strong economy. You have to have a strong military. Because if we ever needed that gold from Ghana, we'd just go over there and take it. I mean, that's just the right, bottom line. Right. You know, and there's nothing they could do about it. So, essentially, they might not, might well as not even have it. So, when you have a fiat currency, you know, your ability to print money, especially for the United explain, States. Explain the fiat currency. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Fiat currency is a currency that's not tied to anything. Right. So, it's 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 um, basically a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States has been a Bitcoin since the 60s and early 70s when we went off the gold exchange. Right, okay. So, so it's not tied to any asset. Well, right, like the opposite of that would be silver because silver right. is tied to silver. an ounce of silver. Yes. Gold is tied to an ounce of gold or whatever. The, exactly. Right. A car is not a currency because it's tied to the value of the car. A house is not a fiat currency or a house is a real asset. value asset. Exactly. Yeah, you can touch it. Exactly. Okay, you can't touch a fiat currency. Got it. Um, you know, people talk about inflation. Well, it's going to it's going to have inflation. You're going to have hyperinflation. Well, you know what M one and M two is money mm-hmm. one, money two. Well, um, the reason Germany in the late '30s had hyperinflation was because like ninety percent of their currency was in actual physical dollars. Mm-hmm. Not dollars then. You say Germany? Germany. Yeah. So Germany had hyperinflation somewhere in the 30s. Mm, yeah. And right. and that's one of the Will reasons. barrels. Yes. That's yeah. one reason Hitler came to power. Mm. You know, so so you say, well, can't we have hyperinflation in the United States? Well, in order to have hyperinflation, 
you would never have a hyperinflation in the United States because the M1 and M2 is so low mm-hmm. that the physical money, your the money that you can touch and feel and, and, and exchange hands is, is like, I mean, it's so low. It's like less than 5% of, mm-hmm. of, of the monetary money that changes hands in the United States. Most of it's done electronically. In fact, there's a lot of people who want to do away f- with uh, actual physical money, but I don't, and mm-hmm. you shouldn't either because politically that would be a stupid move. Um, that means that the government could track every single penny that you would spend. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you got some money in the mattress. I do have money yeah. in the mattress. Okay. Um, actually, it's in a shirt pocket. 127 Nevada <laughs> Circle. No, I'm kidding. I don't know where you live. My wife calls it her ATM, all Tom's money. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. I stick money in a pocket, and she yeah. goes by and just pulls it out. Yeah, but, but okay, so not that I don't want to speed us up, but I do want to get some of these other Trump. Okay. Uh, so, But the fiat currency, your point back to the currency is not gas. Gas is not a currency, right? It's a real value, right? Water is not a currency, even though people, you know, think, oh, in the future, we're going to be, you know, bottom line is what we're talking about here. It could be a currency. Like, for instance, that's why people buy gold. They buy gold. You know, the the people who think that the world's ending and and all of that. And I'm not saying it's gold. Gosh, Uh, please. uh, A long time ago, salt used to be a currency. Okay, there you go. So like people do have some backup currency, and that could become in the form of silver. If you had mm-hmm. silver, it could come, you know, in the form of some other, you know, asset that you have. What, right. What, what if we just barter printed? What if we printed three trillion dollars right. mm-hmm. and physically printed it, mm-hmm. flew it over the China, and dropped it off to China and said, there, there's three trillion trillion bucks. Right. Um, the value of the dollar would go down. The value of the dollar would go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But but not, not much, much right? Not because much. we already owe them twenty three trillion. No, we don't owe them. I know. And I saw you shaking your head over there when I said that they owned a lot. We of we 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 don't owe them that much, right? Um, in fact, they've been selling, you know, our T bills. But yeah. I mean, you know, since we are the reserve currency, mm-hmm. we can print money, right? Because everybody else has to convert into dollars in order to trade. So mm-hmm. if Mexico wants to buy something from Russia. Mm-hmm. then they have to convert to a standard, and the standard is the dollar. So they have to buy dollars, and they have to buy dollars, and they exchange dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want people to really let that soak in. That's why the U.S. is the most powerful country in the world. That's not just the reason, but they they have who huge was, Who benefits. was the reserve currency before World War II? Before World War II, it was France. Nope. I'm kidding. I don't know. It was Britain. It was Britain. The, the of course it was. The, King the pound. Yeah, absolutely. So when Britain yeah. got pounded mm-hmm. by Germany, mm-hmm. okay, they no longer could control their destiny. Right. And so the world powers voted the United States as a reserve currency mm-hmm. because we were the most stable, most powerful economy in the world. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so if China had their way, see, China's trying to get a reserve currency just for the Asian countries so they don't have to buy dollars anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a real threat to the United States. Exactly. And Bitcoins is a real threat to the United States. Oh, yeah. There's a lot that are, there's a lot of threats out there. That's why there's a lot of people that love Donald Trump because he's taking corrective action in their minds. That's what they feel, and that's why they love him because he's out there on the front lines making radical decisions to meet radical demand. And, 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 and you may see them as radical if you're independent or if you're a Democrat. To him, they're very practical and rational, and to his followers and to the people who believe in what he's doing, um, you might not agree with his policies or his personality or his person, his his personality and all of those things, but you have to respect the fact that he stands and he speaks his mind, and you know what? 
that that has to be hold on before okay i'm gonna go to the next fact okay trump said last night that unemployment rates for african-americans hispanics and asians are at the lowest levels ever the unemployment rate for african-americans hispanic americans and asian americans has reached the lowest levels in history trump said in a speech this is what cnn says trump is correct the unemployment rate for each of these groups is at a record low, at least since the government has issued data. Issued data for it. So that's pretty interesting. Okay, so why is that? So, well, the, you know, it's just amazing to me because that is a great question. Well, I, t- I can tell you why. Okay, go for it. The reason is because they're employed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just boils down to that. I yeah. Mean, so hey, I got I got dineros in my pocket. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I, oh, I'm, boy. I'm. I'm oh, spending boy. money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm getting paid on Friday. Right. Uh, people need me to work for them. Mm-hmm. My wife's happy. My right. kids are happy. I'm happy. Absolutely. And so, right. but the, the interesting thing is, is because I guess you could, you could talk about a couple of things that created the jobs that we have created. And one of those might have been his tax legislation that he part helped push it. through part of it. Right. So, um, you know, people who are making a certain amount of money might pay a little more taxes than maybe they did, but right? Let me, let me tell you the difference between Obama's economy and Trump's economy. Okay. The major difference is the type of job being created. Mm-hmm. This isn't windmill jobs, boys. I'm going to tell you right this, now. These are real American jobs, gas-guzzling no, vehicles. No, what what's... I'm what, not making fun of your accent, no, by the way. No, but what, what, what Obama was... When people were employed on the... Uh, and it wasn't all of Obama's fault. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to go down that long list of reasons why or why not. But they were temporary jobs. Mm-hmm. They were low-skilled jobs. They were low-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. But what Trump is doing is he's bringing back the manufacturing jobs. He's bringing back high-tech jobs. He's bringing back a lot of jobs that pay $15, 20 $25, 30 $35 an hour to this country. And... The biggest surge, which is another thing you're probably getting ready to say, is the blue-collar increase. The mm. wage gap is shrinking mm-hmm. because the blue-collar uh, increase is twice as fast as the white-collar increase pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the fact-checking's there, and it, the bottom line was those three segments are at the highest level. The other thing is that manufacturing uh, during the tariff period went into a recession. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But did you see the last numbers on the manufacturing? They've come out of it. They're over plus 50 on the index, which yeah. means that... I'm going to go to the next fact because okay. we don't have a lot of time. left. But your, your point is well spoken and taken, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Here we go. So factories. Trump said that after losing 60,000 factories under the previous two administrations, America has now gained 12,000 new factories during his time in office. Fact check. Both figures are correct. Though it's worth noting that the numbers include both large traditional factories and tiny little factories that produce goods with fewer than five employees. There are, those five employees don't care. They're know, employed. Right. Well, the, fact, the facts <laughs> are the facts. And they're not, they're not saying that there wasn't. But he, they do go on to say there are different ways to measure the number of manufacturing establishments in the country. According to the Census Bureau Statistics of U.S. Businesses data series, the number of manufacturing establishments in the U.S. fell by 61,000 between 2001, the beginning of George W. Bush's administration, when there was 352,000 establishments, and 2016, the last full year of Obama's administration, when there were 291,543. 
that's a reduction of 17%. I got so that you know he, he they just go on to say and you say WTO. Yeah. What? WTO. No, I'm saying what? Because that's, what that's the saying. first w, w, WTO. W, what? World <laughs> Trading Organization. World? World. World. Okay. I thought you were and, saying and it. China's in, China's uh acceptance into that mm-hmm. happened in late nineties or early two thousands. I think either Clinton or Bush approved it and and that um ushered in a huge movement of manufacturing from the United States to China. Absolutely. I agree completely. So the next one is um, Trump said that 7 million new jobs had been created since his election. More, this is his quote, more than government experts projected during the previous administration. The facts. Trump is correct. Between November of 2016, November of 2016, the month of his election and December of 2019, the last month for which we have data, the economy added 7.3 million jobs. Between 2017, Trump's first full month in office, and December of 2019, the economy added 6.7 million jobs, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So they just go on to say, yes, there are some, there are some facts here. There are some truths. This is CNN, too, yes, by the way. And, just, and again, the, go back. You can even go back to... Um, the night that Trump got elected, you had Paul Krugman mm-hmm. come out and say, if Trump's elected, stock market's going to crash, the economy's going to crash, we're going to all go to hell. You know, and the exact opposite happened. And actually, Krugman came out the other day and said, mm, I might have been a little wrong about that. Mm. You know, and he, he, you know, he's one of these guys that just hates Trump. Okay, next one, border wall. Trump claimed to have built over 100 miles of a long, tall, and very powerful border wall. Uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection said that as of January 31st, 115 miles of new border wall system had been built. The overwhelming majority has replaced dilapidated barriers with a new enhanced wall system. Around one mile has been built where there was no previous barrier. The Trump administration administration calls all miles new arguing that it is all major improvements and that's true i mean that's it's true. dilapidated it's new what we uh, got there's a lot of places they just had a board up i mean literally there was nothing there mm-hmm. exactly um so let's move on to a couple other quick things pre-existing conditions trump has repeatedly promised to protect those with pre-existing conditions even as he has sought to kill the affordable care act a.k.a. Obamacare, which greatly expanded those safeguards. This is his quote. I've also made an ironclad pledge to American families. We will also protect patients with pre-existing conditions, he said. Facts. Trump claims about protecting those with pre-existing conditions is false, according to CNN. Though Trump says he would do this, his administration has consistently taken steps to undermine the Affordable Care Act. So this gets a little more political because it's a little this more gray very area. Gray. Very gray. That mm-hmm. that is nuance to to the nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you either going to say you're going to protect them or you're not going to protect them. And Trump has been pretty consistent in saying he would he would not sign any legislation that would do mm-hmm. away with that. Provision. Exactly. So there we go. Drug overdose death. I think this is important. With unyielding commitment, we are curbing the opioid epidemic. Drug overdose deaths have declined for the first time in nearly 30 years. Among the state's hardest hit, Ohio is down 22%. Pennsylvania, 18%, down 18%. Wisconsin, down 10%. I don't think that you can put a number, and this is me speaking, of how huge this is. This it's is huge. enormous. So the, the fact is Trump's claims are correct. 
but it does need to be put in context. Drug overdose deaths declined in 2018 for the first time since 1990, 28 years. So they're taking his two years. I mean, come on. But the bottom line is that's huge. And, and, and you know, I don't care who you are, a Republican, Democrat, Smaticat, Batacat, Jatacat. If you're reducing deaths and, and because of policies that may or may not, I mean, legislation, the Prison Reform Act, all these different things, facts are facts. And I don't know who's responsible for it. And there's some claims here. I don't have time to look at those, but they have been reduced. Yes. And, yeah. and it goes. What's the Republican response? I'm just kidding. I don't know what the Republican <laughs> response, but, but the common sense response has been that there is a number of reasons why that happened. Mm-hmm. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Which which one might would be best that you would like to chat about? Um, let's, let's trade? Talk, yeah, let's talk about trade. Clunk, uh, clunk. <laughs> Trump claimed that the new U.S.-Mexican-Canada agreement, which replaces the North American Free Trade Agreement, will create nearly 100,000 new high-paying American auto jobs. Hard to tell you whether that's true or false because that's he's saying something in the future. But Trump, this is the facts. Trump is inflating his administration's own estimate of job creation under the new trade deal, which is even higher than an estimate from an independent agency. It's difficult to predict what will happen in the future, but a report from the Trump administration's own Office of U.S. Trade Representative put the number at 76,000 jobs over five years. So it's it's one of those things where you can you can have anything say anything on either side. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, does that include... You know, people want to talk about jobs. Well, is, you know, a base job or is that a supply job? Mm-hmm. You know, every base job creates, I think, two or three uh, supply jobs. Right. So, you know, if you're creating right. base jobs, then you can you can multiply that by two or three. Yeah, which, which brings me to the conclusion of this, and we want to thank Tom White, but um, housing is so important to the economy, and it's so clear. There are so many jobs that are created as the result of a strong housing market. So we want to collectively, I think we can all agree on this, us three here, that housing needs to be at the, the center of any economic um, you know, plan, whether that be a strategic plan or any kind of plan because, you know, you employ many, many people as the result of a home being purchased or a home being built. Would you agree? I would agree. And I would like to throw in this last caveat. Yes. One of the reasons that the United States is such a strong economy and such a great place to invest your money is because of our laws. Mm. And if it wasn't for, our laws and our, our legal system, you would not have the protection and the consistent application of those laws to protect your investment. Mm, that's a good point. Mark, any closing thoughts? No, that was excellent said. Thank you so much. Guys, we appreciate you. Thank you, Tom, for coming in in this extra segment. Probably a record length on this, this uh, VIP segment, but I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. <laughs>